next scary movie. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined once again by my twin brother, Eric. We are excited today to bring you part two for The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, we covered that the first part two weeks ago. That was episodes one through five. And today we're going to be bringing you a kind of review and overview of episodes six through ten, as well as our thoughts on the overarching messages and themes present throughout the entire series. Eric, are you excited to get into this today? Definitely. It's a uh, It's a show that's Gives you a lot more on rewatch, and uh, it was fun preparing for this podcast. So I'm just, I'm just ready to talk about it. Yeah, and so now we've both seen it uh, at least two times in full, and there's a few episodes I think each of us have seen more than two times. So uh, we, I definitely agree with you. You get more, more out of it on the second viewing. So with all that said, I think we can just jump right in with episode six, which is two storms. And right off the bat, I just want to say on my first viewing, uh, I think I mentioned this on the first podcast, but like episodes four through six, I thought were the strongest. And it was really episode six that I absolutely loved. Uh, definitely one of my favorites, probably my favorite from the entire uh, entire season. I don't know how, uh, how, how you feel regarding it, Eric. Overall, what's your thoughts on episode six? Yeah, I definitely agree. And something that you kind of take note of, but you don't truly realize during it is that um, there are so that this episode relies on like some really long takes oh, yeah. without like editing or cutting, and they actually have five that are about fifteen minutes, uh, between ten and fifteen minutes. Um, so five long takes. That's the entire episode. Yeah, without cutting. I don't know if you realized. I, that, I did. I didn't know the. I didn't realize there was that few. I knew there was a lot of really good long takes. I didn't realize how how few it was. Yeah, and just uh, being able to do that, and the way that they're able to play that into how tense both of those moments are for the family. Like they use it so interestingly as the adult version. So they're uh, at the adult version. They are at uh, Nellie's wake. And as the kids version, they're basically uh, I'd say like 60 to 75% into Olivia's psychosis. And they introduce Nellie is like the, the bearer of the house as well and uh it just yeah it's it, oh, the whole episode i think this is actually my favorite episode in the entire series yeah so we both definitely agree there uh yeah like you were saying we are pretty well into the kind of deteriorating deteriorating mental state of of live and it's also interesting because a lot of the backstory we're getting is told out of order so like we'll get some stuff where it's like she's at the end and you can tell she's super crazy but then you'll have something after that she's very normal so sometimes it's tough to evaluate where exactly we are when we're going in the past. But yeah, like you said, in this storm episode, uh, she has a huge wandering spell. Uh, one of my favorite sequences is when Hugh is kind of following after her in the hallway. She keeps like turning and just staying out of sight. And then mm -hmm. he turns into this great hall. There's this rab storm just ravaging the house. And uh, he's like yelling, Liv, get away from the window. And she just has her arms out in front of like these massive windows and the glass just shatters. And like you assume that she's going to be like cut to pieces and then Hugh turns back and she's gone. And uh, yeah, I thought that sequence was great. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, one thing I liked this. So this uh, especially as we get to the later episodes and we find out a little bit more about adult Hugh. Uh, so one scene I really liked in this episode was when he first arrived at the funeral home and we are looking through his eyes and he sees um, all his children as the kids 
like aged from Hell House. Yeah. Like that's what he's looking at. And it, it just feels like symbolic as his perception of how he's like his role as like the protector of the kids. Like they've never left that age for him and that innocence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just thought that was a small things like that add up. And uh, especially as we kind of find out more about because he the character of Hughes kind of had a almost a role reversal from what we've learned he was as an a uh, as a uh, realtor or a house flipper to his current clammed up role as the dad and so getting those insights is a uh, is a powerful way to kind of show how he's changed as a character yeah and speaking to that this is kind of our first real introduction to the adult the adult timeline Hugh because we'd heard him on the phone briefly in episodes past but this is the first episode where really kind of brought him into the limelight and he does just does not fit with the younger Hugh, especially my first viewing. I just did not make sense to me. I was like, hmm, maybe the actor's just not right, or maybe the directing. Like, I'm not sure. There's something just off. But then I think it it, play, it pays off, and I think it's an interesting direction. I understand what they're going for because we see a transition later, and it's all revealed that essentially it's it is still a calculated decision of his to try to protect the children overall Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll get to that later but uh on my first viewing i was like huh i kind of don't like you anymore (laughs) but then it it got it got he uh he got kind of revalidated for me so Mm -hmm. um yeah okay okay. i i I feel the same i think i would actually be even a little harsher and say even despite what we'll talk about later with hugh i had a I had quite a few problems with how the character was portrayed and well, we'll talk about this as we go on, but it's yeah, I'll save it for when, when we get to the, the crux of my issue. So, okay. but be prepared that I'll, I'll be negative. I did also like in this episode, we see Hugh kind of murmuring to himself or like having a conversation with himself and especially like to Steve that like really <laughs> angers and annoys Steve because it shows like, signs of the what steve views as a permeating mental illness throughout the family and then i liked the payoff a few episodes later which we'll we'll touch on uh, when we get there but that, that that was a nice touch for me here yeah and uh as one more one more um note on this episode they had a pretty good callback to one of my favorite scenes from the early season and that was just putting the buttons on nelly's eyes mm-hmm. um so the scene i'm thinking of is when they found those i don't know if you can call them like mm, old-fashioned telephones between the upstairs mm-hmm. and kitchen and uh, they tried to drop the buttons down and there was some shenanigans involved with that and so something as simple it's not like i mean and the kid's eyes the body was desecrated by those buttons but having that as like a viewer experience is just like oh my it's, gosh it's a, good, it's a really good something callback, is yeah. happening um i have a couple more thoughts on this episode one i would just like to say drunk theo is my favorite theo uh theo <laughs> was super funny this episode a couple of small points but like uh when uh she had a quote really early on she, and she's talking to shirley she's like she doesn't look like she's sleeping she looks dead <laughs> like they always say that she looks like they look like they're sleeping i thought that was funny um there's an interaction where steve and cheryl are arguing and cheryl says like hey shut up you're drunk or uh, sorry no I'm, I'm skipping forward um when shirley and theo are arguing cheryl says shut up you're drunk and theo goes nope yup but that doesn't make me wrong <laughs> or something and i thought that was really funny and last one there was one more interaction and Sorry, uh, I'm just trying to find it in my notes. Yeah, it was. It was. I think the one you're looking for is Thea or Steve and Shirley arguing, oh. and Steve responds to Shirley saying, 
I'm not drunk. Theo's drunk. Yeah. I'm just pissed. Yeah, and then yeah. Theo's in the background like, what the fuck? Yeah, man? she like raises her hands up. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, yeah, that's exactly it. Missed that. Um, then I also really liked, and this kind of is a really good commentary on Nellie's role in the family, is when the family is kind of reaching their peak amount of arguing and anger towards each other, her coffin just tips over. And for me, that definitely was Nellie tipping it over to try to get the family to stop fighting. Like her, her, that was just her like inserting her little, uh, any way she could, you know, influence to help the family get back together. It was a, you know, stop fighting and try to keep loving each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're definitely right. And you kind of get a glimpse on that when they're all in that wake room and her, like the ghost of Nellie kind of shows up in the background for a good five minutes. Yeah. It's, it's just a while standing there as they argue or they, because the, the communication between the family is, it seems like it's either small talk or explosive fighting. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. really no in between. It's a lot of animosity, and it, it, it can the animosity can really uh, spiral quite quickly. Um, and we're we're definitely going to touch on this the end of this episode. I think for for me, it was one of my favorite moments of the show, and I believe yours as well. Um, so at one point during the storm in the younger timeline, Nellie just like disappeared. Like she was even holding Theo's hand, but Theo doesn't know what happened. But she disappeared, and then at the end of the episode, she shows back up, and she's kind of like crying, and she's like she says, "I was right here, and I was screaming and shouting, and none of you could see me." Uh, and then. Then the transition right away to the adult timeline, and she's alone in the funeral home, just like crying as well. But it's like her bent neck lady persona, and I thought that was just such a perfect representation of Nellie's mental, her mental state, or her just kind of feelings in the family. Like she, even after they left Hill House, she was so affected by it, and nobody mm-hmm. really would listen to her. That she would be talking or she'd be saying things, and nobody could actually, you know, see that there was anything wrong. And that was a really good uh, metaphor for that, and just super well done. Yeah, I agree completely. And you, you start to see that really juxtaposed with, like, especially with Stephen and Shirley and how, like, Shirley's like, why, why, why couldn't she, she should have felt like she should have talked to me about anything, but she ignored her call. Right. That's, and yeah, that, I can't get past that because that also kind of plays into, like, the perfect Shirley kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And the same, same exact thing with Steve. He's like, oh, mental illness. Why can't this family accept our history with mental illness? And then he also ignored the call. So it's 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 very much holier than thou. It's looking for a reason, even though they knew the reason. They just couldn't accept that the reason was Hill House. Yeah. Well, then, then even Steve has the audacity to blame Hugh for, for talking mm-hmm. to her and, and also actually recognizing that there was a problem and him being the one that called the people. But yeah. Okay. I think we can move forward. Episode seven is eulogy. Uh, starting right out, I have a quick question for you. So we open with the interrogation with a police officer and Hugh from the younger timeline. It's revealed that uh, Liv is dead. The children have been taken away from the house. And the cop, when he's talking to him, he mentions like, and that doesn't even, you know, that doesn't even start with the other body, he says. And do you know who he was referring to? Because this is going to be, I mean, we're doing spoilers. So this this is going to be referring to a future episode that we get into Abigail. But wasn't Abigail mm-hmm. hidden by the Dudleys? Wasn't that like one of the main things they said? I, I, I imagine it was the body that they found, like the the old hill member but i don't know why like that would arise any sort of suspicion yeah so that, but like the, yeah i definitely thought it had to have been in the context of like that night but maybe so maybe i mm. i don't know i mean because that's the only way i feel like 
Hugh is getting out of there without any sort of charges. If there's another body, then he's completely like a like a fresh body, if you want to call it that. There's no like, there's no arguing or communicating your way out of that. Well, he could have taught he could have t- tied it to live, I guess, and said it was a, a crazy thing that Liv did before she killed herself. But I don't know. Yeah, but that's that's the only thing we were privy to. And yeah, you're right. The Dudleys took away that body, so um, I, I imagine it has to be that that. They just found that body so close, and it's kind of a weird, weird thing. And then they've got this, and yeah, I, I, I was also almost just wondering if it was a bit of a, a bit of an oversight. Like if they were gonna refer to Abigail, but then Ab- I don't, I don't know. Just, yeah, we we can move no, back. That was just a question. Well, it just it can't be Abigail because a child's death that's unrelated to you that would be too big of a deal to just brush off as oh yeah, what about the other body? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay, anyway, anywho, <laughs> after that sidetrack, um, one thing I'd like to say in general, this is kind of the, like one of my criticisms of, of what that of Hugh, what Hugh's representation was in the adult timeline, is I just really wish Shirley's husband had some semblance of a backbone in their relationship. Mm. It was really hard to watch him just like, because he really, in the grand scheme of things, he didn't do anything wrong. He did take money behind her back, but it was for a completely just and like, completely understandable reason and mm-hmm. so Shirley is just being completely unreasonable and, and he's just really letting it happen and I that made me a bit upset at times <laughs> yeah I, I agree and it, it for me it boils down to the fact that pretty much all of the crane adults are unlikable as like characters <laughs> besides Nelly uh, and, and uh, Lu- I think times, and, at and times Luke. Theo I was gonna say Luke too but you also he's a drug addict yeah. who will steal from you but but and it's 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 for the same reason. It's it's I think it's I mean it's intentional, and you're supposed to get frustrated, and you're supposed to get angry at how they're reacting because you need this build up of them completely rejecting what happened to them as kids in order to have that payoff at the end. So mm-hmm. I get it. It's just yeah, you're right. It's very frustrating that all of those supporting characters, like Kevin, who is just the sweetest man in the world gets completely bulldozed over by Shirley because she's hard-headed, stubborn, and uh, can't take no. And that for an and especially gets worse as, as we, we'll talk about in a later episode, uh, the realization we have about Shirley's past. So it gets yes. a lot worse, too. And uh, that's one uh, I liked. I like the eventual reveal of that because you get the buildup of the, the small little, the cheers, the uh, the toasting mm-hmm. of the yeah, glass. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's her... That's almost her bent neck lady. Yeah, really. Yeah, if, I mean Luke and Luke and Nelly uh, have their their two kind of specific ghosts, and and this one was a bit of the same. And we'll, we'll, I really, there's something I really want to touch on uh, in episode nine that we'll get to with that. But uh, uh, moving forward with eulogy, I thought the reveal of Hugh, you know, he's not talking to himself; he's actually talking to some sort of embodiment of Liv was great, and it was like of a really caring loving live it was a nor like a, a sensible live so i thought that was kind of great that she was still talking to him about the kids and trying to give him advice and he's having conversations with her at the same time so i thought the reveal of him looking crazy in the previous episode is actually pretty fun in this episode yes i agree um and this to me this is like the interrogation is the foundation of how we can actually see that young Hugh became adult Hugh Mm -hmm. you see that he became this protector mode and kind of lost all of his 
his emotion and he slowly transitioned as he's building this story about what happened that this is going to be my role now this is the story i've told and i've got to protect my kids and lead them down the path to eventually just ignoring all of this nonsense and he ultimately needs to keep them away from hill house so i think part of his silence and part of his his uh, kind of passive demeanor is is in, in a way to do that to kind of distance himself a bit from the kids so they don't keep inquiring about well what really happened to mom well what happened with this and they just really try to I, he wants them to give it up i think and that's part of his trod with that yes and we've mentioned this in the the first part of the uh review of hill house but the transitions in this show are not only crucial but they're done really well as a show that hops between timelines so often one i really liked from episode seven was when uh, they showed hugh holding the funeral program at nelly's uh, funeral uh transitioning to him holding the house um blueprints yes as an adult as he's doing like that mold work yeah and that's just i i think they did a really good job with that in general but there's uh, several that stand out is like oh my god that's so heavy <laughs> yeah <laughs> for it's sure just very and well done there's something else i want to touch on uh at, so at nelly's uh funeral shirley kind of reads a a poem and then opens the floor for anyone who wants to say a few words and luke comes up with some extremely touching words and uh i think this is extra re- relatable for you so i was just going to read it and luke says I was born 90 seconds before Nell, but she was always my big sister. And so I thought, you know, you can kind of really provide some good context with that and how that, how you can kind of associate with that. Yeah. Though this is the nice <laughs> thing about this. What well, I mean, do you want me to talk about it or no? You're just laughing at me. I was going to say the nice thing about this show is that you get so many different familial relationships that kind of everybody can relate to different things. And I was going to say specifically, I can relate because I was your big brother forever. So um, thank you for laughing at me as I was getting into that description, though. I appreciate that's not that. What, that's, you not, know. that's not what I was going for, but <laughs> I'm saying you're, 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 you're like, you can re- relate with Luke because even, oh, even, though, even though you have a younger twin brother, it's, it's, I'm, I've always been your big brother. No. <laughs> Just, that was just kind of went right, that just went right over your head. I'm sorry. Maybe in a, yeah, maybe I, in another three yeah. minutes you would have gotten it. That was whack, and you should feel whack. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, any, anyways, um, a really small point that'll come up later: the Dudleys always living in or around Hill House really sets up the macabre fascination that we get uh, get from their perspective in episode ten. I just wanted to point it out because we kind of really realize how tied they are to the house in episode seven. And we'll, that'll get brought up later. So I just wanted to mention well, that. Yeah, this is this is kind of the first episode where we get information from the Dudleys that illustrates how aware they are of what Hill House is. Yeah. Like it, when we have um, Mr. Dudley have that speech to Hugh, if you sense your missus seeming scattered, maybe some time away from the house wouldn't be bad. That's pretty good, Mr. Dudley. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and he, he says, like, yeah, we never stay here after dark. We know what happens after dark, and uh, definitely creepy. And then at this point, I don't know how Hugh isn't more alarmed by Liv's continual breakdown. You know, they, they have the master blueprint that she was working on for so long that's just uh, riddled with the footprint of their forever home. Like, she just kept drawing the figure over and over again, and you have her holding a you know straddling him and then holding a weapon up to his throat while he's sleeping mm-hmm. <laughs> he, and he just kind of wakes up and he's like you know what are you doing Liv? and then it's like okay we move past it 
Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that forever home blueprints thing felt like a little bit like a call to the, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy just kind of shows that she's clearly out of her mind. And especially with something like that, it's, it's it's almost like she uh, it conflates like Hill House with being their forever home yes. since she's combining which, the two, which, which is a which really I really cool like. Concept. Yeah, yes. Um, I also really like. Uh, so we we talked about how Liv and Hugh Hugh one of his kind of a, so, or one of the things he's been doing is having these conversations with Liv as he's an adult and uh, while he's also talking to other people. And then there's an interaction with Hugh and Steve where Steve is kind of really needing specific words to hear, and Liv is kind of saying all the right words that Hugh could say or should say, but Hugh just decides not to because he, again, is just in protective mode and just doesn't mm-hmm. say it, and I thought that was really great. Yes. That's that's a, that's, that's a really good way to bring her back into the series and uh, kind of show you what Hugh Hugh's mental goals are or what he's trying to do as a person as far as like hiding the truth and hiding his emotions and keeping his kids protected from mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. And then uh, just a very, very good episode closer. You have uh, Hugh back talking with the uh, police officer in the interrogation, like the start of the episode. And as he is describing the actions, he uh, is talking about the red room and said, oh, the red room's always been locked. We never have a key. But then we have a visual of Hugh running upstairs and seeing the red room ajar and that yes. the red room door ajar. And that was just... Like, I got chills almost, because the, the Red Room has been built up the whole series so far, and uh, that was just a really good closer for me. Yeah, that was my favorite closer of the entire series of any episode. Uh, just having that, they, they do a really good job with uh, juxtaposing either, like, mis, mistruths or lies, and, like, as somebody's talking with, like, the back or the actual thing what's happening like you see that sometimes with shirley or with theo but uh that one was as strong as you can get and uh really makes you excited for episode eight okay and episode eight is going to be witness marks which i love the title and i love the analogy that we'll get to in this episode with the witness marks um one thing i thought interesting from this episode is how you really see steve assuming kind of the role that Hugh had when they were kids. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Hugh is almost like a helpless adult in this timeline, and Steve is really assuming the protective guardian role for all the siblings, and he's kind of... And this this has happened. We talked about this before, but there was so much impressionable time for the kids when they were at Hill House that they had a lot of experiences that helped mold and shape them, and Steve took a lot from his dad, and you can mm-hmm. clearly see it in this episode, and I thought that was interesting. Would you go as far as to say um, that molding happened when uh, he was helping remove the black mold from the basement? Uh, I I would say that, Eric. <laughs> I would say that. Um, it's funny, though. The very first note I wrote down was that uh, adult Hugh very much feels like the child instead of uh, instead of the adult and the parent in this situation. Yeah. So very on point. And uh, you're just – I feel like since – episode maybe five or six we've just been waiting for hugh to do anything (laughs) like just be be real be strong he had yeah he had one outburst at episode six but then he immediately came back and i was like oh come on you know keep keep it going keep it going don't don't stop there because because when you get those moments like when he was talking about nelly the letters nelly was writing to him you're like oh man this guy this is this is the hugh 
from from Hill House, the the parent, mm-hmm. the the dad, and then he snaps out of it, and then he clams up. He's talking to Olivia instead of talking to the kids, um, and it's just, just oh, you want to shake him. You want to. Yeah. It's just frustrating. Uh, I still need Kevin to have some semblance of a backbone at this point. <laughs> He's uh, still, Shirley's still just kind of treating them terribly. And uh, even like in front of their kids, like it's uncomfortable to watch. And, and you, you just, you got to feel a bit bad for him, but also like, you know, stand up for yourself, Kevin. Come on. Yeah. Well, to be fair though, Shirley doesn't deserve Kevin. So. No, goodness. No. Kevin is a wonderful guy. I was a catch. Yeah. Uh, you, everyone should be trying to find their Kevin. Yes. And then well said. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing with this is a very interesting uh, thing with Steve in this episode. Uh, he, you know, he all, the whole series, he's been talking about mental illness. It's like a disease in this family. Everybody's nobody's safe from it. And the re- uh, revelation that he got a vasectomy straight out of college and then didn't tell <laughs> Lee. And that's the reason that they're fighting. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, uh, Steve doesn't deserve Lee either. <laughs> so uh, yeah. yikes, that's a pretty unforgivable, uh, unforgivable kind of thing, regardless of the circumstance. It will, and we'll touch on that a little bit. Uh, I think in episode 10. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> since you brought Lee up, how is it that the, all of the supporting characters are just so much more enjoyable <laughs> than like the current state of the kids? Yeah. Like Lee, Lee is a catch. Kevin's a catch. Uh, Theo's girlfriend is a absurd or not girlfriend, but uh hookup who wants to be her girlfriend is like incredibly supportive. Yeah. She like what read about an obituary in the paper who yeah. does that and then still came just to be supportive. Yeah. Tr- yeah. Trish is also everyone, everyone should be trying to find their Lee, their Trish or their Kevin. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I also have a question for you. As a child, how traumatizing would, if you gave your mom a present that you worked hard on, like you made them a little vanity desk with a mirror and you like painted it and put a bunch of pictures of your siblings and stuff. And then her reaction is to punch a hole in the mirror. <laughs> how traumatizing would that be? As like the the emotion in her eyes is gone. That that had to be been a pretty terrible uh, situation for Steve, a pretty impressionable age there. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's uh <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a, it's it's a weird scene out of context and it makes sense as we get the context later on, but he takes it in stride. I mean, he's a weird kid. I think he's kind of used to just having weird stuff happen to him. It's it's uh yeah, sorry. I don't have I don't know. I thought I'd have something more to say to that, but apparently I don't. That's okay. So I've, I'll, I've I'll got, just stop talking. Okay, I've got a few more things. If you, if you have anything else for the episode, you can just jump in. I, then. I do. So one thing that we kind of get reinforced in this episode uh, through Mrs. Dudley now is uh, to me, the Dudleys are just really strong characters because they provide a realistic source to give backstory mm-hmm. into like the Hill House, the history and like the residents of it without it feeling like nuanced or forced because they've been there. They they know because they've waited on the people who live there. They've lived in the area that it's not like you. It's not like the some like silly things where you go to a library and somehow the library knows every like little historical fact about the small town, but they're actually providing relevant, important information as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, the, the, yeah. They're very strong storytelling, like pieces of storytelling. And we get really good information about who's going to kind of become a, a big character towards the end here is Poppy Hill, who has a really 
compelling backstory. You know, she was a clinically insane person who met her husband in an insane asylum and then they moved back to the house and we mm-hmm. get some we get some doozies of information about poppy and she becomes pretty important so it'll be fun to talk about that uh, in episode nine and then a couple more things about witness marks i think the transition to a strong capable hue when he's in the car with steve driving towards hill house after luke is such a breath of fresh air it's so nice to see him taking charge and really putting steve on his heels like he's he's like you know i read your book he saw a ghost and he's like oh whoa, whoa, mental illness mental illness and then he you know, brings it forward he's like you know we never had a person to bring you to look at this clock and then he has i absolutely loved how he was describing the witness marks and it's like steve you 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 knew you saw things you just didn't know how to evaluate what you were seeing like mm-hmm. you're not capable you weren't quite capable enough to handle it and so you just saw this for not for what it was and so the witness marks with the repairs and the clock and tying that into um your kind of observations of things and not really having the capacity to understand them i just i just loved that and that whole sequence was great yeah, during that dialogue when he explains that only Olivia, Nellie, and Luke saw the house for what it truly was, was just uh, because yeah, you've been he's been waiting for somebody to take uh, take Stephen down a peg. Oh yeah, and Hugh certainly does that and delivers that hardcore, and it's just you need that, you need that because you're after the the wake and the funeral, Steve's coming off his high horse pretty hard, and it just feels like. If you it's not checked, then what's how is this dynamic gonna go? Yeah, and uh, the fact that Hugh finally takes that role as parent and um, doesn't doesn't quite reveal everything he knows, but gives him a glimpse into what he's been hiding is just so good. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then uh, final few thoughts from me on this episode: uh, we get Cheryl and Theo then driving in a car after. Hugh and Steve to also go towards Hill House to try to stop Luke, who they have learned is going to presumably try to set it on fire because he had bought gasoline. And uh, now the <laughs> just so they're driving in this car and they start arguing and start fighting. And honestly, this is one of the best jump scares I've ever seen. Um, the first time I saw it, I I think I like yelped a little bit <laughs> like I, I i legitimately jumped and it was so well done it was so out of nowhere but it also played in like you know we'd already seen Nell tip her coffin over when her, her family was fighting we now we see her kind of jut forward from the back seat of the car to tr- get her sisters to stop fighting because she knows what's most important is them sticking together and them caring for each other and they're not doing that right now and so it, it makes complete sense but the, the jump scare there was just perfect and it was so frightening but it made complete sense in the story yes i agree and then uh, lastly right after that um cheryl has also been similar to steve like refusing to accept that there's some uh ghost shenanigans afoot but theo's like you have you saw that that was her and then she has this amazing monologue about her see she you know she says i felt i felt Nell's body and then she just goes into how she has this like nothingness monologue where she felt Mm -hmm. nothing and she was in this black void of nothingness and that whole monologue was just great and i I think that was one of the best pieces of acting in the in the series was theo's speech at the end of episode eight Mm -hmm. yeah i agree and uh that's that's i'm I'm glad they had that kind of moment that didn't feel too forced to kind of explain Theo's more or less power uh and because she's she's kind of we've been we've been through the rope where she is kind of made it clear that other people know about 
what she can do, but like it's never been like fully out in the open. And then just so her like fully revealing all of that was really good to me. Mm-hmm. I agree for sure. All right, Eric, are you ready to jump into episode nine? We, I am. This is uh, episode nine is Screaming Mimi's, which is my favorite episode title. Yeah, not my. I think not my favorite episode, but definitely the favorite episode title. I think Witness Marks is my second favorite episode title, but Screaming Mimi's also for the use in the episode is my favorite for sure. So, at this point, um, I started to feel like, I don't know why like, I mentioned or wrote it down for this episode, but the further I got into the series, I feel like the more impactful the theme song and intro gets Mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it's an, it's an interesting theme song. It's, it's not short. It's not super long, but the, like it's such a strong music, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's very powerful and the imagery coupled with it is, uh, it's got like the statues and it's got like the old fashioned style to it. It just feels unnerving without being like scary i guess and a lot and, of the uh, music in in the series also like works really well with it so i think it plays all well together which is yes. cool yeah and uh so one of the first things i noted here uh for some reason i felt like so there's a scene pretty early in this episode where Olivia is getting pretty close to her wits end Mm -hmm. and she has a a conversation with Mrs. Dudley and it's very quickly revealed that Miss Dudley knows to a certain extent what she's going through because she's seen it happen before. Mm -hmm. And um, they kind of connect on the basis of like children and motherly instinct. And it almost sounds like, for the start of it, she's like validating the worst part of Olivia's psychosis. Like she's almost like encouraging her like negative uh, behaviors, but then she's like, "No, you just got to get out of there. Hill House is bad." And it it begs the question: like, why why can't the Dudleys be a little more proactive in keeping people out of this house? <laughs> right? You'd think. Uh... You'd think they've well. That's that's gonna be interesting. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on that in episode ten. Okay, so I guess we can save that talk for them then. Yeah, and then um, one thing I wanted to point out. So yeah, we're talking. You said Liv getting to her wits end. Um, she, she has a point where she's sleeping with the twins on top of her, and she's like, "Oh, I wish that we could just keep them like this forever." Uh, to Hugh, mm. and and then so like Hugh takes a picture, and the way she's smiling into the camera after she says like, "Oh, I want to freeze them and keep them here forever." Um, and then she just has like kind of like this soulless smile and then uh, she kind of looks away for a second and then she looks back and Luke is gone and Hugh's carrying him away and she looks furious and uh, mm-hmm. that's just very dark foreshadowing for eventually what her motivations are going to be for the last kind of bit of this series is you know she <laughs> and we're going to get the very creepy way it's uh, phrased to her and presented by Poppy Hill and that's going to be that her children need to wake up and to wake up they essentially need to die in hill house and then they can be together forever outside of the dangerous dark world so yes and uh we get some really really creepy stuff kind of leading up to that uh a quick another side note throughout this entire series we've had so much hints about the red room um we get another quote here when the kids are talking 
it's like, hey, have you seen mom? Oh, I think she's in her reading room. And another kid's like, oh, which which room is her reading room? And, uh, you know, I think they've, they've said that about the game room, the toy room, and you've like multiple different, the tree house, like so many different mm-hmm. things. And that's just really cool, good uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, the, uh, the slow, slow and uh, perpetual realization or reveal about the red room is really well done to me. And uh, like the more we learn about it, the more it kind of like it feels like the room of requirement from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But in, like instead of providing you with what you need, it like provides you the environment to prey on your vulnerability almost. Mm-hmm. Like especially like Olivia when she's having the migraine, she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna just go to my reading room." And then you see that she's got that's like the most intense dreams she has where she's witnessing right uh nelly and luke say things that they're not saying mm-hmm. and so it's just it's it just and then it, like for the treehouse it provides luke where he's drawing like abigail and then like the monsters and yep it's just it's yeah the red room is is gonna be something i feel like i quote conversationally randomly <laughs> for a long time eric's in the red room uh yeah, so a big chunk of this episode is going to be now our newly introduced Poppy Hill, who is kind of almost guiding Olivia on a bit of a journey here. And she has another little quip about the Red Room. She says, oh, I love what you've done with this room. For me, it was a it was a dressing room for me, then a nursery. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of more about that. And then, oh, so yeah, so Poppy Hill is this mentally ill person who, you know, was married to one of the Hill family members and lived in the Hill house. And she has... A monologue where she's talking to Liv about her children and she's essentially explaining this concept about how they needed to wake up because that was how they would you know they weren't truly fit, like fit to go out into the world so they needed to wake up inside Hill House and she very casually describes her uh, murdering her children and being like that being the best situation for it and Liv is extremely impacted by that and you keep getting this guided kind of tour and conversation and Liv is becoming kind of more and more subjected to this idea and she's becoming more and more receptive to it and Mm -hmm. one of my favorite parts was Liv uh is guided to the twins room and you have Poppy kind of right behind her shoulder and Poppy's talking to her and then in one of the shots just for a few seconds instead of seeing kind of the young attractive Poppy you get the old decaying decrepit ghost of Poppy and so you can clearly see it's like this kind of conniving lying like a not demonic what's the word malevolent uh figure instead of a trusting figure that Liv is seeing and i thought that was just super good malevolent is the right word i mean so far it's been spooky but nothing that we've seen has like been seemingly truly evil but Mm -hmm. it the with the introduction of poppy she seems like the the most malevolent force in the entire house by far oh yeah and and it seems like i mean i think it just goes in hand with how she lived her life she was insane and she was kind of just unsatisfied with the havoc she caused in her lifetime and she just kind of like wants to watch the world burn yep and that's just her her personality because as viewers we clearly know not to trust her but olivia is at the point where she's like on her last resort and she almost feels like Poppy's like saying just the right things and so she kind of views her as like a life vest and so she just grabs onto her so she doesn't feel like she's still drowning. She's talking about keeping her kids safe and that's that's all she cares about at this moment. Yep. She's like, oh, you want to keep your kids safe? You got to wake them up from the screaming memes and it's just, she's saying nonsense but the fact that it makes sense to Olivia is not only 
like it's it's heartbreaking as a viewer but it's heartbreaking just knowing like what emotions and uh what the kind of mindset olivia's got to be in for that to like make sense to her oh yeah and we also this episode get Liv's uh tipping point in my opinion is when she's subjected to the vision of seeing dead nelly on the table and then the like overdose drug ridden luke on the floor with like vomit next to him uh as a and these are adult figures they're no longer her children but it's like this is the future of your children if you let them go out into the world. And this is what she sees. And this is then being interlaced with the lies and the told, like she's told from Poppy. And this is just completely to me, her tipping point. There's no coming back from that, um, that, that vision at this point as Liv is completely lost of the insanity. Yes, that's well said. And uh, so as we, as we get into the crux of this episode, it's uh so we talked about how the closer of uh, I think it was Two Storms was our favorite. This uh, I'd say the, like the last ten minutes of this episode is the last the, my favorite close of any episode because we get we get the payoff for what Hugh saw at the end of uh, the Two Storms in which the red room was open. Yep. And, and a lot so, of oh sorry, as I was say, a lot of the like first episode or the early episodes when we get like glimpses into what was happening, we're now filling in the gaps, which was really fun. Yeah, that's this show does this really well. It provides context for some like w- early scenes we see that kind of don't seem that important, but as we get more context, they seem a lot better. Uh, so one thing specifically is uh, Luke has been constantly talking about his friend Abigail. Uh, we find out she very much is real because she has a sleepover. And um, so basically this mo- this uh, episode ends really with Olivia going away from the house as planned to try to give her some give herself like a mental break. Allegedly going away from the house. Allegedly going away. So that the scene where uh, she is away in quotation marks. I'm putting quotes with my hands right now uh, when she's away and Hugh calls her and it just flashes to her sitting in like a motel room as opposed to her sister's house. Yeah. You assume and, the motel is like barely outside, the, you know, really close to the house. Yeah. And, and the, her, her face and as she's on that phone call and she, cause Hugh's distracted by the kids and it's like, a, it, it makes sense on his end, but if he was only able to see, what Olivia was doing on that phone call and tell like right. how, how she, I mean, she was 100% gone at mm-hmm. that point. And uh, so do I mean, do we just want to walk through how this episode ends? Because so basically yeah. she, Olivia comes back and Shirley discovers her in the kitchen and uh, she looks like she's preparing tea. And yeah, we see a little bit of an extra bottle there on the counter though. Don't we? We do see an extra bottle, an extra bottle from uh, the basement mold extraction when Hugh thought there might be some rats, and so he bought some rat poison. And so, this is such a such a sad end. She Olivia mixes up a tea party, and she grabs the twins and Abigail, who is with them. And this, the thing that like throws me is that Olivia isn't like slowed down at all by the introduction nope. of Abigail. She's, so, she's completely gone. She's in stride. Gone. Yep. And it, well, I think to her, it's, it's all about the idea of waking up and anybody who wakes up isn't is better. It's to, a better place. Yeah, exactly. And so if, if there's another kid, if there's another person who cares, they're going to be woken up. So that's, that's a net beneficial thing. And they, they are led to the red room 
And Nellie is like clearly excited because it's a tea party mm-hmm. and the red room's open. They've never seen it open. She's constantly talked about she, how she wants to, to see what's in there. Maybe it's a pony. I bet it's a cotton candy machine. <laughs> yeah. And um, oh, this scene's hard to watch. It's just so it's just so drawn out. It's because you know what's ha- you know what's coming the entire time. You know what's coming, and it just it takes its time. It really builds to it, and. The payoff is Olivia serving rat poison to Abigail specifically, and Abigail drinking it and dying. Yep. And this is uh this is the this is the scene that paves the path for one of the very first scenes in the entire show, which is the family escaping from Hill House that mm-hmm. last night. We're provided all of the context around that. And one thing that is really good, I feel like, in this episode is that as Hugh is discovering that Olivia is home and what she is up to in the Red Room, we are privy to all of the ghosts coming out of the house. Mm-hmm. And you see the house truly for what it is. And that's just such a cool scene, seeing that added context to the, I call it like the escape for Hugh and the kids uh, seeing all of those ghosts in the background was just so cool to me. Oh yeah. I, I love that. And then you get the very end of the episode, you get a flashback to when they first moved to the house <clears throat> the kids like run in, they're all excited. They're going up to explore their new bedrooms and Hugh turns around and asks Liv, Hey, haven't you always wanted an endless summer? And I think that's just like such a perfect mm-hmm. uh, phrasing for that. And uh, that really just sets the stage for, Wrapping up with episode 10, we now have seen the huge action wrap up with what we were, we kind of knew in the beginning, but didn't know have all the details. And so, yeah, Liv is now uh, murdered, murdered a child who, like I like you said, I, I thought as well that she was a ghost. I thought she was like a ghost friend of Luke's for the longest time, but we get some more information in episode 10. And there was a lot of hints early on uh, to who this child was. And it, there was a lot of foreshadowing that I didn't pick up on until the second viewing, which I think was mm-hmm. really nice. And we'll uh, get to that in episode 10, unless you have anything else on episode nine, Eric. No, I think I, let's just get into it. All right. I think anything we could touch on is going to be touched on here. Um, so, okay. So episode 10 silence lay steadily. The final episode of this series um, early on, we get the full reveal of the red room's purpose as a lead in for the episode. It worked well for me. They kind of already had a, uh, uh, tease a lot of the uh, interaction, like tease a lot of the, like we said, a lot of foreshadowing. They tease the interaction with Shirley and Nell outside and Theo inside from different perspectives. So now we are fully thrown into, okay, the Red Room just serves as a vehicle for the inhabitants. It just kind of morphs to reflect the person's personality to try to draw them in and to make them vulnerable. And uh, yeah, I think that's a definitely was pretty laid out before this episode, but now it's just completely fully fleshed out and that's the case for it. Yes. And uh, so the crux of this episode, uh, it's it's like almost you can kind of consider it like the final boss for all of the kids and Hugh. It's they've got to own own their past and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And they're co- fully confronted with it and they're forced to be together. And the, the method in which it does it, for the most part, I really like in that. So basically what happens is we have the supporting characters 
just absolutely obliterate <laughs> our our main characters. Mm-hmm. So like it starts with Steve, Steve's perspective. <laughs> yeah. And he's he's uh he's back at home and he's writing his like second Hill House book and it's about how they went back to the house and they got Luke back and they got the family back and blah 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 blah. And we slowly find out that that's not quite reality and we find that out through Lee, uh who is Steve's wife and she goes from like this supportive wife and then we it slowly she like starts to get a little more serious and a little more serious and then she gets absolutely ruthless and it's revealed that she clearly isn't his wife and uh <laughs> it's it's almost a little funny how how aggressively he's tearing into him like he, she is just completely ripping apart his career his life his personality and like really pointedly in like really specific terms, like you're an eater, Steve. All you do is eat and you blah, 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 and goes into it. And Steve just like is looking there like terrified and horrified at like, oh my. And, you know, because like he, he should realize something's up. He should you know, like, well, why, you know, I was fighting with my wife. Why are we in a perfect situation now? But yeah, it was, I think that was a good setup for that. Yeah. Because we, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, we've been waiting all series for Steve to get taken down, and <laughs> this is a really good takedown. She, yeah, she says, you're an eater, you eat it, and you shit it out, and only then is it real for you. You're a parasite, a plastic parasite. <laughs> I had, I had, I had wrote, written in my notes, R.I.P. my man Steve, I'm sure your writing's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. But, uh, yeah, and I, I think, so the... Also, a kind of a cool idea that they use is like each individual kid getting grabbed by the house and then taking them to their their final moment or their uh, moment of clarity. I guess yeah. you could call it. And I like how Poppy house. is a, a the agent of the house that does that. It's it's Poppy. Um, I, Poppy like popping in and kind of does a little go to sleep tap. It kind of either grabs the head or touches the head or something, and the people kind of are falling back into a trance. And then, uh, so Steve's was this dream Lee who was actually a, a, a terrible person. And then the next one I think we get is Luke. I believe uh, we get one for Luke. We get one for we don't see Theo's right. We no, yeah, we do. We see Theo with uh, Trish. There's a scene with her and Trish. Is, is there? Yeah. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not as strong as the others. Uh I think they're just like making love and then there's like a weird conversation that Trish has with her, but Oh, you're right. Good because then she gets grabbed by all the hands and stuff. Yes. You're right. My bad. So yeah, but one thing I wanted to say without getting into all there specifically, Luke has a relation an interaction with Joey, his drug addict friend, and it's really hard to watch because uh he he only he gets forced, like someone injects his arm with a needle, which is pretty brutal with him trying to stay clean. Uh, and then so we have the 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 three situations by Luke, by Theo, and by Steve are kind of like dreams of stuff they don't want to happen or something that's like a fear of theirs. Whereas Shirley's is a past memory. It's a mistake mm-hmm. she had made. It's something that she did that as a, a weakness. And I thought that was a really interesting idea because a lot of the other characters have these flaws and these uh, these fears and stuff and Shirley's biggest thing is oh she's perfect Shirley so her biggest flaw and biggest imperfection is something she's actually done that would kind of ruin that image of her so I thought that was an interesting idea there yeah one thing I didn't like with Shirley's uh like Shirley's backstory or her her uh, whole like cheating cheating memory was that uh when she like asks at the at the bar for like the one thing that nobody orders on the happy menu 
or the happy hour menu and they give her a Caribbean boneless a Caribbean jerk boneless wings who wouldn't order that it seems like it'd be one of the most popular things on the menu yeah Am I wrong? you'd think a happy hour like yeah wings is probably one of the, like I mean it's you're usually gonna get like an appetizer so that that was a bit strange yeah I was, fair, I was expecting kind of, like a really weird drink but yeah to be fair they kind of looked like shit when they came out but <laughs> I mean in theory I think I would be all over those yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's funny. <laughs> the worst part of that is who 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 wouldn't want boneless jerk wings? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it just I this was nice because basically what this episode does is it lets it lets the uh, supporting characters flip the switch and just expose reality and force it down the throat of all of the Hill House kids. Yep. Like they don't really have a choice. They mostly for the most part they're just subjected to it. And uh, they like Shirley kind of tries to fight it in her story, but she really can't because it's it's real. Yeah, she knew and, it happened. And even at one point when she tries to mentally change it, the guy comes back and, he, and it's no longer a memory. But the guy's like, "Wait, this isn't how it happened." Tell, yeah. When I said this, you did this, and then this happened, and it was like this is like really just really like you said, forcing the reality, which was a really kind of cool, uh, interesting way they did to present that memory and that story. When it's just something we've been begging for for 10 episodes now is just to not tiptoe around the truth and reality. Just lay it all out there. And finally, this episode delivers that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we get a a moment for Luke kind of at an afterlife tea party a little bit, kind of like when uh, Harry met Dumbledore before uh, uh, before returning to the Forbidden Forest in in Deathly Hallows. Uh, Very similar-esque to that. so Luke has been artificially a, a drug needle has been put in his arm and he's going into this quasi afterlife where he's back at the tea party that he took place in when he was a kid. And you have the contrast of Liv pleading for him to stay, but Nellie yelling at him to go like the young Nellie. Cause she knows this isn't life. This isn't living. And I thought that was so interesting because you have Nellie, you have Poppy who's this agent for the house who is, you know, a malevolent force who's, kind of bringing out the worst in the children or trying to, you know, bring these terrible things to them. And Nellie is acting as like the opposite. She's waking them back up or trying to, you know, direct them in the correct way. So uh, even she can realize this isn't, you know, even though I'm gone now, I- I've seen what Hill House is. This isn't living mom. Like you have to get away from them. So I like I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. It, during that scene when Olivia and Nellie say to Luke, oh, you've been at the door so many times, but never come in. And it's just like, oh. Yeah, man, it's powerful. And then I also really liked right after when all the kids are in the in the actual red room. It's just covered in mold, and which is what where the tea party setting was too. It's just like this really moldy room. It's really decrepit. And then you have Nelly who pops up, like a dead Nelly who's kind of speaking gibberish at first, and she's repeating herself. But then over time, she kind of starts filling in the gaps, and she's essentially just reiterating what the red room was for him and why it was mm-hmm. what its purpose in the house was which is pretty much like we said earlier to to get the kids at their most vulnerable by by transforming itself into something that they can really relate to and um really just trying to get them to realize this house wants you you don't want it though you don't want it back yeah uh and so during like that speech in the red room like to me like that speech I, I, I thought it was like a really good speech, but it, when I thought about it more, it just like kind of made me angry because it just, it's indicative and illustrative that Nellie is just so much more of a, 
or she's just so much more enjoyable of a character. And like, you just wish that she was still alive and that like, it seems like the kids didn't deserve her. Yeah. Like she, she bore the brunt and the force of the house more than anybody. And she was still the one who was trying to keep the family together. Right. And she was the youngest. So she, I mean, she had to deal with more than anybody and she fought the hardest and, and she was just the sweetest. And the fact that unfortunately as viewers, we weren't able to see her flourish as a character is just, just kind of upsetting because everybody else, especially one thing this show makes you do is kind of ponder what, the last like 20 years of this family's oh, yeah. relationship was. I mean, we get, we get pokes and prods into some moments, but it's just, it's just interesting to think about what, so what exactly did, I mean, they obviously don't talk about things besides like small talk and they very dismissive and keep things light, but oh man, it just makes you wish Nellie, Nellie was still there. I know it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Nellie was, the one who was most, most interested in, and tried the hardest to get the, keep the family together. And it just to see the family now actually kind of starting to come together towards the end after she's gone is just so tough. And we really get that with the ending, which we'll talk about. Um, one thing I wanted to say too, one small thing, nursery rhyming Poppy is terrifying to me. She was like <laughs> the most creepy character ever because she is this malevolent force who killed her children willingly. And she just keeps rhyming in like really creepy, like sing-songy ways. And I love that, <laughs> but it was also creepy. Um, and I also, when Hugh and Liv are essentially talking, Liv is really trying to convince Hugh, like, you know, like they, they need to be here. This They need to you know wake up. And, and Hugh says, they're dying and Liv says no they're waking and to me waking is that such a creepy word it's kind of like how uh to me it's similar to how luke was saying i just need to get well one more time before going to Mm. rehab like a very similar concept where you'd think it sounds like good but when you actually think about it it's the complete opposite it's a really just misconception it's a, a misdirection almost trying to use a positive emoting word in a really negative context yeah, that's actually a really good comparison, and that's like a perfect way to put it. Yeah, I mean, because that's what it is. Like, get well. You're not getting well. You're getting worse. Waking. You're not waking. You're going to sleep forever. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, completely wrong. Yeah, so so one thing um, about this last episode that I, I can't really, I can't really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? This is one thing that doesn't really compute for me. So the the Dudley's current involvement with the house makes a lot more sense once we're privy on um on what happens to their daughter and the fact that she kind of remains her presence remains in the house. So I understand why they'd like to stay with the house, but I don't understand up till that point why they stayed on that house. Like they could have just worked at a convenience store. They're not being paid well. I, uh, with all they knew and all of the shenanigans, they go home at dark because they know it's haunted yeah. and it's malevolent. Why would you stay on that house for 20 years? And they, they even admit Mr. Mr. Dudley admits that she had a miscarriage, right? Mm-hmm. Before, before the, um, what's the kid's name? Abigail. Abigail before Abigail and she went right back to work like why <laughs> just do anything so I have an idea here and this is I had mentioned earlier that I wanted to touch on this in an episode like later in episode 10 because the whole Dudley situation seems 
it's just it's completely different to what the real view of the house we have and i think it's because so mr dudley was born in the house miss dudley was brought in pretty early to be like an assistant or a kind of handmaid almost for the house and help clean and things so both of them have been in or around the house essentially their whole lives i really just think they've been they've been essentially like how poppy does it they've been charmed they've been almost kind of converted like olivia into into some sort of weird uh sense of belonging to the house and i think that they just have this feeling and then once their daughter has fallen inside the house and then remains that just completely adds to it they have this macabre fascination with the house that normal people wouldn't have but because they've been around it so long that's how i interpret it is that they they just they almost make the house look glamorous like at the very end you see uh mr dudley carrying like a really old and dying miss dudley and she's laid to rest there and like oh it's like we we wake up as ghosts and we're together but and that looks like in the moment it looks like a happy ending for them but with everything we've seen with hill house it's not a happy ending those ghosts aren't happy they don't the house isn't using the ghosts in a like a, a positive way it's it's manipulating the people just to eat the people and then the ghosts remain as a result it's not a good thing it's not a glamorous thing i think it's a really just a really unfortunate misconception that dudley's have they have this attraction to the house that they can't fight because of their continued tie to it that's how i saw it i i don't know if i can fully subscribe to that idea just based on the fact that when Miss, mr dudley was having that long conversation with hugh he said that Mrs. Dudley wasn't going to come back and work on the house until she found out it was a family. And like that was like propelled her to have like that protective role. But if you if you if that's what compels you, why aren't you preventing people from living there? It just it just seems like either they're bad people for not being act proactive enough to prevent people from living there or they're almost like that makes them complicit in what the house is okay me. but i also want to say they were also weird though they didn't let abigail leave their own house like not only did not leave the house i assume part of it's because they don't want her to go to hill house but like they were just weird parents <laughs> their whole situation is a bit strange and I, I i definitely can't explain it all and i think that was maybe one of the weirder points in the last episode especially like that kind of final montage like scene where they are laid to rest and seem so happy that definitely was a bit strange to me but i was just trying to explain with how i interpreted it a little bit okay let's just let's just call them bad people then i think <laughs> i mean at the end of the day they have to be because yeah you're i think you're you're, you're kind of right that they had this like odd fascination with the house and they couldn't shake it but maybe maybe that's the house kind of make uh, working its magic on them maybe they're affected at least a little bit by it to continue wanting to work there but but at the end of the day that you got to take responsibility for what your actions are what you, what you're doing what it leads to because they're very cognizant of what the house is yes so based on the conversations they uh, mr dudley had with hugh and mrs dudley had with olivia so right uh bad people let's just call them bad people yeah um, I think a quote towards the end that Hugh, as he's talking to Steve before Steve leaves the house when they, they, the kids try to take Luke to a hospital and he says, I was so lucky to be your dad. Uh, and that's kind of exactly what Steve needed to hear. Uh, Steve has had this disconnected relationship with Hugh for so long and that definitely hit Steve pretty hard. And Hugh, and then we haven't talked about this, but Hugh makes an agreement with Liv. He, he agrees with Liv that if she lets the children go he'll stay with her and essentially he's 
committing himself to die and be be with live in the house which i think is a huge tragic sacrifice and obviously he doesn't want to do that but he feels so protective of the children that he he decides to do it and that's a huge like a Ooh, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's terrible, but it's a really, uh, a really, uh, what's the word? Not gracious, a very, uh, ah, what's the word? A very, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm blinking. A very, you, you got it. Oh, I feel so, oh my gosh, I'm on the point. Or on, yeah, I'm not on the point. I'm on, <laughs> oh my, I can't do any words. You're flustered. Yeah. It's, okay. it's just like such a such a fatherly, such a paternal, such a great thing to do for your children. It's so loving and uh, ultimate sacrifice, I guess. Yes. One of my uh one thing I took note of that I really liked from this episode, um so during like Nellie's speech, she had a line about how um like moments aren't on a line, they're like rain falling around us. And especially for this series, it really hits home to me since it's so heavy, heavily relies on flashbacks. That's exactly how the show is presented. It's not in a line. You get moments dropping around you every now and again. You can't really put the pieces together until you see well down the line and can finally make the final picture. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of a cool way to be a little, um, I'm, I'm, this is no. Now I'm going to struggle for the word. Uh, be self-aware of the concept of this show, but also bring omnipresent. it back. Omnipresent. Bring it back to relate directly to like the themes and the plots of what's going around. So yeah, I thought that I like was a that cool too. idea. And I wanted to kind of just get your opinion here. I think I saw like one or two fan theories about the happily ever after ending. So at the very end of the movie, or after the very end of the series, we see a glimpse into a house where luke is blowing out the candles on a birthday cake it has a number two so you assume he's now two years sober uh you see a you actually see a wedding ring on theo's left hand uh on her ring finger and she's got trish kind of on her side you see kevin and shirley back together uh so really a happily ever after ending and i've seen some fan theories to suggest like are they still in the red room like is this kind of a fake reality i didn't think so i didn't get that really at all um, I do think that this uh, this kind of experience again with Hill House they had as adults just really cemented in some some of the reasons why they had these kind of broken relationships, and I really think it helped mend them, and I think it really just helped repair their familial relationships. I don't know if you felt the same, but I I honestly thought this was a happy ending for the kids because we had the such tragic ending for Hugh, and I think it was just a happy ending for them. Yeah, well. Yeah, I've got kind of mixed mixed feelings about how that ended. I think it makes sense, and I think it kind of had to happen that way. I mean, at the end of the day, with what Hugh was trying to do to be like the protector of his kids, it had to happen that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seemed almost, I don't know if this is going to be the right word, but it seemed like almost rushed once they got to that point. Like they had all this build up for all of the kids going through what they went through in the red room, and then they're out of there, like just like that. And then for all, of, of all people to like have the reveal to be Steve, for I just I I didn't like Steve, <laughs> <And> so <laughs> maybe maybe that's just like a person. It, do, it does come garage. full circle though from the first episode. Steve sees a ghost. I feel like, and then ending with Steve as well. I think it did come full circle well, and especially since he was the most staunchest disbeliever. I think. 
than the ending of him kind of getting the information. I think that that worked for me fine, but I think the whole ending, the ending as a whole, I would agree, felt a little bit rushed. I'd, I'd say from episodes eight through ten, a bit a bit rushed. Um, I think it could have benefited from maybe having one extra episode. That, that said, I, I uh, was overall very very happy with the series. I think the ending was a little bit rushed, but I was okay with the ending and. Uh, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it as a whole. Have you, uh, as as like reviewing for this podcast, have you run into any comparisons to American Horror Story first season? Um, like in my opinion, you mean, or other well, people? either your opinion or anybody else's that you've run across. Um, so it's been a really long time since I've seen that because I saw it pretty soon after it came out. I don't remember that much about it, but other than well, I mean, so yeah, there is the idea of the house storing kind of ghosts, but I don't remember enough. I think the the, ty- the type of the style, I guess, of show is completely different from what I remember. And the relationships between the people here is, is what made this so compelling. And I don't think that was necessarily present in AHS. So I'm not exactly sure what my comparison would be. Okay. Well, yeah, I was just curious. I mean, it's yeah, you're, you kind of nailed it. It's similar-ish, but I mean, fairly unique as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess final wrapping up thoughts. Um, like I said, just really, really like this series overall. It's really carried and driven by the relationships between these family members, especially when you look at the two different timelines and how those relationships, uh, change over time. I remember in, in our, uh, world history class, we used to write essays on it called continu- continuity and change over time. When you'd look at, a obviously what something started as and what something finished as, but you'd have to look at the whole process. So this series was a bit of interesting because you get this continuity and change over time, but a lot of times we're just looking at point A and point B and we don't get a glimpse anywhere between those timelines. So we have to fill in the gaps a little bit. And sometimes it's really hard to do. You see Luke and Nell, these lovable twins who have a really great relationship on point A and then point B, you see a drug addict who is make, con, guilt tripping his sister into buying him heroin. And it's just, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's hard to watch sometimes, but that makes it interesting. That makes it really good. Like the fact that it was so compelling and it's made us talk about it for so long. It's just that it was so well done and such an interesting story and such an interesting family that you really start caring about these people and start wondering, you know, how they go from this to this. Like, I understand there was this traumatic instance, but then we have all this time for stuff to get worse. And it's just uh, really compelling and interesting to think about. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree completely. One thing I kind of like to do um, towards, towards the end of, especially TV series is like pop on IMDb and look at like episode specific ratings just to kind of see uh, the spectrum of what people are thinking. So this, uh, so all 10 episodes, uh, on IMDb range between an 8.0 and a 9.5. Okay. And um, not too unsurprisingly, it seems like people agree with us that Two Storms and The Bent Neck Lady uh, were the best episodes. Those So those two got a 9.4 and a 9.5 respectively. Okay. And um, everything... So we've done the last five. So the last, so I guess we, I can really quickly run through them. So two storms was a 9.4 eulogy was an 8.4 witness. Marks was 8.9 screaming. Mimi's was 8.9 and silence lay steadily was 8.5. Okay. So it seems like people were satisfied with the ending. 
Um, maybe not enthralled, which I think is a, probably a good way to describe my feelings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's always hard to wrap things up, and if I I like that they so they already announced they're doing a season two. I like that they're not going to continue this story because um, it doesn't they, need to be. It doesn't need to be continued. They fleshed out what they should have. They didn't necessarily provide like I like that they left things amb ambig- gosh dang it ambiguous ambiguous <laughs> left, like I like I like that we didn't necessarily get a full backstory on like the man with the the tall man with the hat uh, who is Luke's ghost and we didn't get like every uh, single although, person in the house's backstory that was the guy that was uh, William Hill I believe who the one who bricked himself in I believe that was the same ghost ah okay okay. Well, anyway, we we didn't get everything fleshed out. We have a little bit of wiggle room, and we have reasons to talk on a podcast about what things happened. But uh, I like I like I like that they tried to wrap things up in a neat way, and I feel like for the most part it was pretty successful. Um, it's hard to do, and I I can't. I mean, I, I I can find reasons to complain, but overall, I still quite enjoyed how it ended. And the ending worked a bit better for me on second viewing. I think. Uh... On the first viewing, I was I was almost binge watching because I was so into it, and so by the time I was kind of coming down from that, I thought that the ending was a bit more too tame from what I was used to with the previous few episodes. But watching it again, kind of knowing more information, I thought the ending was pretty pretty satisfying. And I, uh, like I said, it didn't it wasn't perfect for me, but I really enjoyed it. And as a series as a whole, um, this is by far my favorite horror series I've ever seen. Uh, it's not a huge uh, field for comparison, but even if I were to compare it to some of the horror movies I've watched, this stands stands up there with some of my absolute favorite. Um, if I had to give a rating, I think I'd go a clean 9.0 on this. Uh, one of the higher rated horror things I've ever seen. Uh, one of the most enjoyable horror horror movies or horror series I've ever seen. Just super well done. And yeah, can't really say enough good things about it. I think I would overall go a tad bit lower, maybe like 8.7-ish. And my main detractors are just, I felt at times it was very difficult to get through the dialogue between like, especially the adult family members. I've got a, I've got a, I find a real big issue with dialogue that feels unnatural and to like especially like if it's like too witty to yeah uh, like one liner one liner one liner one liner and it's like emotionless and i understand why it was used here because these kids are or adults are supposed to be so high strung that they can't really do anything else besides have that kind of Mm -hmm. i need to one-up you dialogue uh but it just to me it grows a little tiresome and i've definitely felt like that especially in like the eulogy episode yeah, um, that's fair. But uh I, yeah, but overall, I mean, fantastic themes, fantastic design, really good uh f- cinematography. Uh for the most part pretty good acting, especially uh from Nelly. And interestingly enough, the actress who played Nelly, this was like legitimately her first ever role. First big uh, role. Yeah, she'd been in a couple like shorts from what I remember, but No, like literally uh one short. It was okay, one short. <laughs> I guess two two shorts from 2014. Yeah, so this was definitely her uh, welcome to the big stage moment, as this was seen by a lot of people. You know, this is definitely one of Netflix's harder pushed series when it dropped. A uh, big name director at this point, and some some big. I mean, uh, Carla or uh, Carla Cugino is a, a 
a decently big name. So yeah, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of lots to live up to as a first time actor. And yeah, she knocked it out of the park. So yes. can't uh, can't say enough good things about her. Young Nelly was also great. They, almost all the kids were phenomenal. Uh, yeah, this is this is this series had so much. We could keep you know rehashing stuff we've already said, but uh, we are coming quickly on our well, our longest episode ever, seventy five minutes. I, I think this is already our longest episode ever. Uh, maybe just second to our top ten, but you know that's not a bad thing. I you know ten episodes each, about an hour long, ten hours of content to discuss. We left a lot of stuff out. Could have talked about a lot more, but I'm really happy with how this discussion went because. You know, at the end of the day, it was a great series, and I had a good time watching it again and a good time talking about it with you, Eric. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumping Scared Podcast. Have any questions, comments, just want to share your horror movie opinions with us? Feel free to reach us at Jumping Scared Podcast on Twitter or by email, jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.